So I, have a, I, I look at a script and I go, the script seems really, really super long, guys. Do you think maybe right. we should cut some? Oh, God, no, we don't want a short script. I'm right. Like, Why don't you want a short script? We had a short script last time. It was terrible. Right. Why was it so fucking terrible? You know right. what you do to a short script? You add a scene. Right. That's yeah. the big problem. Yeah. I don't understand. Otherwise, sometimes they wanted to shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot. Well, now you have a long script. Doesn't right. make any sense. You're cutting all the beauty out of it, as we know. Translations, right. movement of camera. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mm-hmm. It, I don't get it. And and you talk to you know producer directors, and they are in agreement with us. They're like, no right. shit, we should have shorter scripts, but they can't decide, which I yeah. understand. I yeah. do. Some people, they're that's what they want to do, but it it really does hurt the way that we tell stories. Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman is a podcast on directing for anybody that's quite simply ever watched anything. Visit PeteChapman.com to get your official podcast merch, hoodies, hats, jackets, mugs, and other swag, and learn more about your host. All right, all right. What's up, people? Welcome to episode 58 of Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman, starring no one other than Allison Liddy Brown. Great director, really great conversation. One of those times where I came away feeling like we had known each other for longer than a phone call. And also just somebody who I'm looking forward to catching up with again and having having a beer or coffee or whatever and getting to learn more about her journey. So in this combo today, you'll get to hear two two directors chopping it up. You'll also get to hear me without a bit of a cold, if you can't tell. So I'm going to keep this intro here a little bit brief, but I know that I would be remiss if I did not conclude the Q&As that have been coming in. So I'm grabbing a few more from the mailbag, uh, a couple that were left over, some that will kind of get punted to a degree, but I will answer all questions without a doubt. So going back to last week's Q&A, I know I did not answer all of them. I believe the remaining ones were from Lozano.Pipo and Serena Dykeman. And I do apologize if I am answering any of them again or saying anything in duplicate because my mind is honestly a little foggy, but I'm waking up and making sure that I get these in. So this episode gets the proper intro as it should and as Allison Liddy Brown deserves. So Serena Dykeman wanted to know, what is your step-by-step process to shot list and or storyboard? So I'm going to first say I've had this question in so many different forums that I'm going to do a storyboarding episode in what will be season five of Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman. And there's a wonderful, I'm going to give you two wonderful people to follow on Instagram, Bridget Shaw. So her uh, handle is Bridget Boards, B-R-I-D-G-E-T-B-O-A-R-D-S, Bridget Boards. She did the storyboards in my book, but I think we've, I can't remember where we first worked together. It might've been Silicon Valley, not sure, but 
She's worked on Barry. She's worked on Insecure. She's worked on so many cool things and, and, and bring such a clean, beautiful aesthetic in helping a director encapsulate their vision on paper and communicate that to a crew. So follow Bridget Boards. <laughs> and another gentleman that I was just introduced to is Eric Yamamoto. Rick Serena, who I mentioned in last week's intro, I believe, connected me to Eric. And I want to make sure we can get him on here. I might do something that he does. He has a creative conversation that he that he does online. But that would be Yamamoto Eric. So at Yamamoto Eric, Y-A-M-A-M-O-T-O-E-R-I-C. And so the quick general answer is obviously, you know, before I can talk to a storyboard artist, or at least for me, the way I like to step into that conversation is I like to fully shot list what I imagine the scene to be in an editorial fashion as well. So you'll often hear me on set talking like, well, edit editorially, this is what I'm going to do with these shots, because sometimes I have to look at it from that perspective versus like, you know, what are my five setups? I'm looking at how will I use those five setups throughout the scene? And so I know what I need and what I don't need from each one. But my first step is to construct that shot list to really think about all the angles that I want to think about all the angles that I don't as well, because a lot of this, the storyboard artist collaboration is going to be things thrown at you. So I kind of want to have thought about what it's not before I, I I get that question in a lot of different ways. And then still remaining open to collaboration and to things that I didn't see because the, the best storyboard artists like Bridget and Eric really can visualize scenes. They're there to compliment you in what you're trying to accomplish, but they also have their own take that you should not be scared to embrace because they might bring something to the scene that you had not been able to find or see from your single vantage point. So there's that. And then it's going back and forth, trying to be specific, have some broad strokes. You know, maybe there's a shot you want to try and get in and you don't really know where it goes, but you might mention that to the artist. And then you get a draft back and then the feedback comes back and forth, back and forth until you land on something that you're ready to share with production and your department heads. One little thing that I love to do is add add the dialogue along the right-hand side or, well, that's typically how they look, along the right-hand side of the storyboard. So people looking at it can track exactly what this moment is capturing and be able to kind of look at the storyboard almost like a comic book. So there's clarity in what we're going after. So we'll talk more about that, Serena, but that is my preliminary answer for what is my step-by-step process to shot list and or storyboard. Now, Lozano asked, how is it directing your wife or a friend or someone you know well? I think it's great. You know more about them. You know how they tick. You know how to communicate, hopefully, fluently and and better and more easily than you might with someone that you don't know. And I think that that shorthand can be very, very beneficial. Also, there's just a level of honesty that kind of flows back and forth between people, director and actor when you know each other and it allows for, I think, more vulnerability or for more runway to try different things that you might not be able to communicate as well to somebody that you don't know. So I think it's a, I think it's a great thing. And, and that's the beauty of working with 
the same people kind of repeatedly because you're able to bring, you're able to develop that rapport and over time develop a new shorthand with more and more people. So great question. Uh, I think it's a great opportunity and I've enjoyed it. I directed four episodes of Grey's Anatomy. So I've done that plenty of times with my wife and then I work with a lot of friends on a lot of shows. So it's really cool when you're able to be like, you know, man, I remember when we were eating pizza, (laughs) you know, for a whole weekend trying to make this short film shooting 20 hours a day. So the journey is beautiful. Moving on. Let's see. Oh, yeah. Justin Cassell. That was another storyboarding question. So hopefully the Serena Dykeman answer will suffice for you and will kind of get you ready for the larger episode in season five. My man, Tony Clomax wants to know when shooting an indie, an indie pilot, other than story, what are some wow factors to include? My take on shooting an indie pilot or any pilot is that, you know, the pilot is the kind of best representation of what this show could look like, right? A pilot, let's just, you know, use rough numbers. A one-hour drama, you know, when when it's into the normal season, is probably a nine-day shoot, let's just say, more or less, right? A pilot, you might have 15-plus days to shoot that pilot. So that means that you're able to have more coverage, you know, which means you can do more specialty shots. You can get more takes for performance. You can probably rent more toys, you're likely to be on location instead of being on a stage or on a set. You are, you may have better music budget opportunities. So it's like every little part of the toolkit that you have as a, as a director is probably going to have a little bit more money or whatever resource available for you to elevate the project, elevate the pilot. So the thing that I think you know, from my perspective, I feel like I'm trying to go to town in every one of those categories. So I'm going to make this thing look like a feature film. I'm going to have interesting ways in and out of scenes. I'm going to think about transitions. I think that always elevates something. I'm going to think about what the B-roll looks like. You know, that's another way to elevate. Like, you know, Insecure, I think it was a great example of like elevated B-roll. All of those like drone shots that kind of got you to see a different part, the the black part of LA in like a vista kind of heroic landscape type of, you know, through a prism that kind of presented it as a, as a heroic, beautiful landscape. I think that that made a huge impact on what the show meant and what the show's value was. Because when you don't have those things and it's much more claustrophobic, it's a sign that maybe there's no financial support behind the show. It could be a sign that you don't have a particularly big vision or scope for the show. And every single category of production is an opportunity to to say, look at what can be done with this project. Knowing that when you get to the regular season, the budgets go down, the days of shooting go down, the days of editing go down, and then you're probably going to, you know, be on stage a little bit more, but you know, you really do set the template with that pilot. So I think wow factor in every category possible is what you do. Uh, And speaking specifically of a show, you know, we're watching Mayor of Kingstown now. And that that may not be a good example because I don't necessarily think that they they saw a big decrease in budget (laughs) going from like the pilot over the course of the next nine episodes. But, 
you know, what they did do in the pilot is a very important character gets killed. And that lets you know that anything goes in this show. And I think that's a, another kind of, that's a, that's a story writing kind of thing. Like your question is asking Tony, but I think that, you know, you just want to make sure it's like really burning and moving on all cylinders so that anybody watching it can say, I am as an audience member in the hands of people who know what the fuck they're doing and whatever, however you want to put that together to, to communicate that feeling to the audience member, I think is the, is the go-to recipe. Lastly, Deandria Rone is asking, what are you working on next? Well, let's see. There's a, there's a few things, Deandria. Right now I've got, I'm actually booking travel for my first TV show return post-strike, something that will be shooting in Montreal. I'll be prepping in December, going back and shooting in January. So that's getting going. And then in January, I'll go back and do uh, season two of another show. And then I've got about three or other three or four other shows right now that are circling and we're trying to land a plane with all the varying uh, conflicting dates. So I'm, I'm happy to announce that it looks like we're getting back to work in episodic TV. Um, and I'm also finishing a screenplay, a heist screenplay with my writing partner, Candace McFarlane, where today we literally did a, a Zoom read through. We're reading through the script and performing it all out to each other on Zoom to make sure the dialogue feels correct, the descriptions are right, and and there's, you know, all the things that we want are kind of represented on a page before we pass it off to our reps and then see if we can't get this movie set up and I can get back in the director's chair uh, as a feature filmmaker because, you know, that that's where I got my start. You know, obviously I started in shorts, but, you know, I, I spent five years raising half a million dollars for a feature. And, you know, after that, I made a $400,000 documentary feature. And so I have not lost my desire nor my passion to tell stories and that medium. And I'm looking forward to getting back into that director's chair and introducing more people to my voice as a director writer. So that's what's going on. And in the meantime, though, uh, what am I working on now? I'm working on being a podcast host. And I want to pass the mic to Allison Liddy Brown. She has a BN, BA in drama and MFA in directing from the University of California, Irvine. Uh, she's an American TV director and producer known for Heartbeat, Scandal, Grey's Anatomy, Friday Night Lights, and more. And she made her directorial debut on the first season of the Nickelodeon series, The Secret World of Alex Mack. So other credits include Roswell, The Bernie Mac Show, Boston Public, Ed, Boston Legal, Monk, Strong Medicine. I'm just scrolling through these credits. Oh, my. My name is Earl private practice, parenthood. Gosh, which way? I, let me scroll back up. I can, I can scroll in every direction and there's more. So again, awesome director, great journey, super personable and a pleasure to chat with. So without further ado, I give y'all Allison Liddy Brown as the star of episode 58 of Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman. Roll sound. Speed. The interview. Take one. So my first question for you, I, I understand you had a you have a BA in drama. 
And so I am an MFA in directing from a University of Cal, Irvine. How does that thespian training inform what you do as a director? Oh, my God. That was the most invaluable thing I ever did was to find the path of theater. And it helped me to, number one, admire actors as much as I do, because that is some hard shit to do. I'd taken, because of my master's degree, we had to go through everything that an actor would have to go through. We did scene study. We did voice. I did some singing. I did dance. I did ballet, which is hilarious. And um, <laughs> you don't know me well enough to know how funny that is, but it is funny. And it, it just helped me to kind of see what an actor has to go through. A trained actor, traditionally mm. trained actor, has to go through in order to be the voice and heartbeat of anything and everything we ever work on. Right. It starts with them, in my mind. I mean, a lot of people, it starts with the script. And then it goes, to me, it starts with those actors. You mm -hmm. hire the right actors, and it almost doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, of course, a better script makes it better. But you right. just watch them thinking and feeling, and, and it's everything to me. So that gave me a base for admiration and respect for actors, and also how to move actors, because the pressure was not on. And as you know, doing episodic television... Mm -hmm. the, you know, the press is always on. Right. Good morning, press starts. Right. You, know, you have to be out of the kitchen by noon. You mm -hmm. make, best make sure. So there's all these things going on. And if I didn't have the value of nine years, because when I graduated from uh, my, my MFA, I was 25 years old. And when I was in that class, it was a very small class. There was two guys and me. And a woman came to talk to us the very last day of my directing class. And that woman's name is Lee Shallot Schemmel. She's okay. still directing. She was 18 years older than me. She's still directing. It's amazing how long she's been doing this. And she started in little theater. And I saw her work and I thought it was funny. The thing, thing that I thought set Lee apart was that she was a very, very funny director. She could mm -hmm. take a Shakespeare play. I don't care if it's a tragedy. And she would throw some comedy in there. And I really respected it. And I thought, I, I can do this. I saw somebody that looked like me that was doing it. And she came to my class when she was 45. Mm -hmm. And she said, I've been observing for eight months. And I finally got my one episode of, it was a sitcom big in the night, in late 90s. Michael J. Fox was in it. Uh, oh, Spin City? No, the two conservative, the conservative, uh, he was a played a conservative kid and his parents were like ex-hippies. Oh, come oh on. Family Ties? Family Ties. Yes. And she, she had known very well, she had a father-in-law that was very uh, big executive producer and he's the one that had her observe. Anyway, so I started observing her at night and doing my plays during the day and painting houses to supplement income, teaching wow. acting to supplement income, anything I could do to get me through these basically eight years of training. Right. And, you know, once I kind of uh, did so much work in L.A., and I'm talking about theater in L.A. I'm not talking about fancy theater on Broadway. I, had, I didn't know anybody on the East Coast, you know. I had, you know, some friends, but that was it. So I really got myself sort of in with a group called the West Coast Ensemble, and they were here mm -hmm. and they were in ho Hollywood. Anyway, long story, I guess, longer. I Because I had done so much work, this guy 
said to me, I did a play for him, and he said, I said, we should make this into a movie, a little movie, because it takes place in a, an apartment in, in New York and had only like nine actors. And he said, well, you don't know anything about camera. Hmm. And I thought, damn, you're right. I didn't go to film school. So I wrote, a, I literally ran upstairs to my apartment on Beachwood Canyon, and I wrote a 23-page script called The Visit. And it was about a little girl in the 60s whose parents had different views about her going to a funeral because this young girl had died at 18. Anyway, it was a dark comedy. I wrote it quickly, and I made it with all my theater friends. I got the costume person that I worked with so much and the uh, production designer and just everybody. And an an old friend of mine that was a DP, and he helped me find a camera. I got Dolly Track, and we made that thing in five days, almost like a single-camera comedy. That you would, mm-hmm. that you and I would do now, right? And I made it, and this is through, really, relationships. All the people who have loved me and have worked with me as artists, and we did it. And that little, little, it was on a VHS. Uh-huh. I had it in my hand, and an actor came that I had known from. He, he was a New York actor, but I had known through friends, and he said, "Oh, I just got a, I just got a show." I said, "You got a show? What show? I'll come and see you." He said, it's called The Secret World of Alex Mack. It's a TV show. Hmm. And I said, do they need directors? And he goes, yeah. I just heard him talking about it today when I went in. No way. So I find out their names, Ken Littman and Sean McNamara. Uh I take my little movie. I get an appointment to see them. I walk into their office, which was a shitty office above a carpet store. Not kidding. And I bring my little tape. I open the door. He's got this many videotapes on the floor <laughs> because his, his, whatchamacallit, his thing is filled with them. Right. And I have my tape. I go, hi, Ken Lippman. And he, he says, Allison, I've seen all your plays. Oh, You're wow. You're a great director. I've seen them all. He said, and Sean McNamara used to date one of the actors in your company, and he's seen all your plays. So you give me that tape. Mm. That's what did it. That's why he watched it. Because right. of nine years of work. Right. There, there's so that. much There's so much in what you just said. I, I'm like, I have, I have like 19 questions that I've... That, Let's begin. I, I, I want to, I'm going to, I'm going to rewind back to okay. something you made a point about, which was you said the trained actor, right? Yeah. How you're, so how, how does your experience as, as an actor help you direct the untrained actor? Because there's a there's a myriad of things that are not necessarily accessible to them as 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 a tool. You know what I mean? Sure. I think the the best way is to just be as honest as possible with mm-hmm. what they're giving you. No bullshit required. No fancy terms. It's what you're feeling and what you're hearing out of that person's performance. Mm-hmm. And then you just say as simply and as compassionately as you can. I'm getting this. What if we tried to add this? Mm -hmm. Let's try that. I'm confused about this. You know, whatever, whatever it might be. If that actor is that type of actor that can actually separate those things. Sometimes you can't, you just say, do it again. Sometimes you just say, do it again. And, and some actors are offended by that. And they'll say, what do you mean? Do it again. You better tell me what you're missing. And I'll say, okay, Here's what I'm thinking. <laughs> you got a pen? Yeah. <laughs> got a pen. Exactly. 
So, yeah, I think it's just, it's like being in it with them. Yeah. What do you do, though, when you, I was having this conversation at a, at a, at a dinner party, and, and we were talking about sometimes when, you know, at, on episodic, you don't always get who your first choice might be as an I actor. always get my first choice, Pete. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh. <laughs> I always get, always get it. Well, no, I need, right. I need... I need your contract because <laughs> in mine, that's not. Oh, oh my um, God. I could just go through all the ties. Or, I'm like, I don't think we should do that. Yeah. Well, and then did it. cut oh to my God. hour eight, yes. you know, four page scene. Hour eight. And you're like, Correct. okay, how do like, I, I am really, I am like running out of, I am running out of, it seems that I'm running out of tools to, you know, produce what, we need out of this scene like what do you go to as a director when you're in you know you know it's it's 10 seconds left on the clock and you gotta go 99 yards like what do you what do you kind of revert to as a as a resource well the 10 seconds i would say i put that aside and i think to myself i need more than 10 seconds some asshole Mm -hmm. told me to hire this person and now i've got to deal with this person so i'm Mm -hmm. gonna need a lot more than 10 and i give Mm -hmm. myself that break number one then yeah. number two, I mean, I had an older actor in a in a really great show that I did say to me, my first day, and it's not about the performance. It's, well, it is. He said, I just, here's the bit, first problem. I just read this scene. Problem number one. Right. I'm not doing this. I'm calling my agent right now. This was, I'm day one on this show. I'm calling right. my agent right now. I did not sign up for this. And I said, Why? I'm not, this is not who I am. This is, and he's yelling and he's old and all mm-hmm. the young actors are like, oh, you're a genius. So I said, can I talk to you? And I pulled him aside and I told him a very personal story about mm-hmm. my father. Very personal mm-hmm. story that related to what was mm-hmm. happening in the scene. Mm-hmm. And that man's entire body, demeanor, everything shifted. Mm-hmm. And he said, okay. Now that was luck. Because I came up with thinking that, you know, should I, should I, and and it was courage. Should I share it with him? Right. Should I share this with a guy? I don't know him. We're artists together. He's having a problem with this. He doesn't understand how this could still happen if this happened. Okay. Here's what is in my experience as a human being and as a daughter. Mm -hmm. And then he understood it. And we were like this for all Mm -hmm. the rest of the episodes that I did. Because I didn't come at him with a result that I needed right, with right. a too bad. That's just too darn bad. You right. know, I was like, what do I do? I have right. to show him I'm a daughter inside do, this director. I do think that the thing that you're talking about is one of the most overlooked skills of a good director, which is you're always directing, right? Like you were directing yeah. in that moment, I would argue. You were also, you know, getting your your hourly rate as a psychologist, you know, but, you know, these are the things that, that like separate being able to like direct what's on the page or not. Because if you couldn't navigate that moment, it doesn't matter what you're blocking or your shots were, like this right. actor is refusing to do it. So it doesn't matter. Um, right. And I, I love that story because I, I feel like that it, it really... Um, and this is a, a, a soapbox I get on often, but like I, I feel like sometimes um, there are some, there are those who think in episode, you know, week to week, it's a it's an assembly line, and it doesn't matter yeah. who's in the chair. 
but it matters tremendously what the final output is based off of who's directing that episode. Oh, 100%. I mean, can't you see the difference? Yeah. When you, when you and, and also it's sort of the, what I like about what happened between two people, and it was two artists, two people, an older man, you know, at that point I was a younger woman, came together because they know that the, there's a trust, there's a, a, a permeability that has to happen between us. If it doesn't happen, then there's no way we can, it becomes like a weird, like a, almost like a monologue. You'll right. go over there because you're the powerful older actor that everybody respects. You've had a career forever. I'm starting out or I'm midway or whatever I was at the time. So you could dismiss me, but you didn't. You listened to me and you saw right. that I was sharing something. So it's it's like this idea of artists coming together with money involved. That mm. That's the difference. You know, mm-hmm. it's money and I he has this money and I have this money and that guy has that money. And we're coming, we're trying to make something and... Like you said, some people don't respect it at all, but at the core of it, the respect is what we draw from from each other. Right. You know? And you don't have anything except for a Google page or a list of a resume. <laughs> if you even look at it, you know, people don't even look at those things. But what what else do we have? We're people that have right. had a life. Right. And you've had your experience, I've had mine, and that that old white man had his. So it's like how right. do we how do we somehow together right. find a common ground to tell the story that somebody else is paying us to tell? Right, right. Yeah, it's it's a it's collaboration at its finest. Yeah, um, and at its deepest. At its you know, deepest. To, you know what I mean? To be able to share something personal like that, that's a deep, that's a deep, we ask actors to do it all the time. Right. They have to cry. They have to hit somebody. They have to make love to somebody. They have mm-hmm. to abandon somebody. So if I'm going to ask them to do all these deep-rooted things, why can't I share something about myself? Right. It just it actually makes sense in a, in, a, in a way without it overpowering or they have to take care of me. That's right. not what it is. It's just I'm going to share something. And I think oh. early on in my career I was sort of so wanting to be the smart one, the, the girl that can do it. Right. You don't think, what about the human being? Right. Yeah. I mean, that, that is part of the, the early challenge too, because you are, I don't know if it's imposter syndrome or if it's just, you know, we're up against, we know what the, we know what the landscape is and we want to make sure we present ourselves as infallible, not infallible, but like, you know, well, maybe infallible. Maybe it is. I can't think of a better word. <laughs> but right, you know, right, like right. that's that's the that's kind of like capable. The, like we're super capable. We belong here. Yeah, yeah, we belong here. And like you know, the right. the youth youth, I think, makes you feel like not knowing the answer makes you incapable. Yes. But not knowing the answers is perhaps the strength of someone who knows what they're doing. you're right i think it's it's we as young directors i always have this fantasy oh god i just can't wait to become an older director like you said Mm. then i'll be in foul then i'll know it all right the only thing age has given me is the comfortability to say i don't know yet like we'll Mm -hmm. sit around for a i don't know if you've had this experience but in a um, concept meeting 
Well, how many people do you want there? What side of the arm is it, is it going to have the burn? What do you think this is? How many of those? I think right. I have no idea. I haven't even picked a set yet. I, I right. The location. How do I know how many people I right. need? Arm, you just gave me the script last night. <laughs> exactly. Right. So I can say now, I don't know, I'll get back to you. But back in the day, I'm like, 14 people. Right. <laughs> two kids. Yeah, less, less, two kids, 50 people, a bunch of nuns. Right, right. That's what I need. Like, you just had to be so specific because, well, you know, I'll just, the elephant in the room, when I... When I started out, I was one of no no female directors, very right. few. You know, Leslie Linka Gladder, and I don't know. I mean, I'm sure I could think of ten, but that was about it. There was about ten yeah. people working that were female directors, and then they would just look at you, and if you messed up, which I did on CSI Las Vegas. Mm. Well, I feel like we big, should. Yes. I feel like is this something? So wait, I, I do want to. We're flowing, but I just want to. We're flowing, I wanna, man. I want to know because normally I, I would ask you, "Well, where are you from?" But like, tell me where you're from, and then and then transition into oh, your God. CSI story. Okay, I'm from Los Angeles. Okay. Basically, born and bred. I was born in Catalina Island. That's just another thing, weird thing, but I was. And, you know, I lived a couple years in Houston as a kid, and we lived a couple years up north. But basically, LA is my home. That's where my family was from. That's where I went to school. Mm-hmm. And I knew I had to make it happen in Southern California. So okay. that's when I went to Irvine, I met Lee Shallot. And she's the first person that I saw that looked like me that was making money being a director. And I thought, wow, I wonder if I could do TV and also do my theater. Like, so that's kind of what I was, that's what I was hoping for. Got it. And now on to CSI. Okay. <laughs> so... In my early days, I started with Alex Mack, which I mentioned, a Nickelodeon show. Those two, those two guys that knew my work as theater, as a theater director. That's why they took my little tape and then they gave me my first Alex Mack. I quickly got my second. I started doing Cousin Skeeter. I started doing all the Nickelodeon shows in the 90s, basically. And I was having a blast. And I I moved from that to doing Disney shows. So that's kind of where I got my ears, you know, a little wet. It was, it was uh, learning camera, lenses, blocking for camera, scheduling. All of that was sort of trained. I was being trained by right. the studio called Nickelodeon. And were I, these multi-cam shows or a single no, cam? No, they were all single camera shows. Okay. Yeah, they were all – I was so lucky. I mean, I got to – I mean, Alex Mack just I, – I, I got to learn about – you know, special effects and visual effects and stunt coordinators and comedy. And it was kind of scary. And I mean, it was, mm-hmm. it was everything. And I did it for years. You know, I, I was really lucky. So because of that, I was doing pretty well for a young director. And, and I had known a, a woman named Ann Donahue, who was a producer on a little show called CSI <laughs> while the Fugitive was happening for NBC and everybody was putting all their energy around that. And that was going to be the big show. And what the hell are these two girls doing with this thing called CSI? What the fuck is that? So she did it. The biggest hit ever. Biggest hit ever. I was, I'm thinking the other day, I think it was like 30 or between 26 and 30 million people watched that show. 
Yeah. I mean, it was crazy. The, the youth so don't under, don't yeah. know what it was like when like, I mean, like that was just, that was just Thursday night. 30 minutes. Like it was, it was, it was guaranteed. That's what you were going to get. Or like. That's what you were going to get. The Seinfeld finale was like 90 million people or some shit like that. Like. Unbelievable. Now you're happy to get 512,000 people, you know, after the three day tally of, of, of oh the DVR. God. Yeah. So different. I mean, it is. That's why our whole business. That's another story. Anyway, so Anne hired me. She goes, you're going to be my pick. You're my pick for season two. So now I'm at the biggest show ever. My kids are babies. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm observing. Every day I go in and I'm watching different directors work. I'm meeting the actors. I'm watching. I'm watching. And it turns out that the DP that I was working with was a DP that I had known years ago. But it wasn't good. It wasn't a good. It wasn't a good situation because there was a little power thing. There was a little mm-hmm. romance thing. It was not good, and I step into that, and I'm like, "Oh, he's going to be my DP." Right. And he had just asked them, "Can I direct an episode?" And they said, "Not this season." And then here I come. Right. So it was not. It was not great. And she would call me and say little things on my on my phone. She would say, "Al's." Whatever you do, don't swing the camera around. They don't like it. Mm-hmm. Studio doesn't like it. So I think, okay, don't swing. Alice, Alice, whatever you do, don't have a high angle. They don't like it. So she was telling me, and God bless her, she was trying to help me. Right. She was telling me all the no's. And that poor guy, he had a thing about me. And then I come in. It was like a shit show. It was terrible. And but those I- were all things that he was, were those angles that he was pitching as, you know, things? No. Okay. No, he, he, he was just looking at me like, what do you want to do? And I was like, he can walk into that. And I thought, don't do that. That's swinging the camera around. Like, <laughs> like, fucking, like fucking hinging somebody in, I was afraid to right. do. It right. was crazy. It was, it was all, it was my inexperience. It was her being afraid. You know, she was trying to help. It was the thing about us from the past. It was terrible. But what I love about the story is that years later, she sees a show that I did called Friday Night Lights. She loves it. She calls me. She's like, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm running Miami now. You're going to do a bunch of Miamis. And mm. she and I did. So I did a bunch of Miamis. Then I did a bunch of New Yorks. And then I went back and did another Las Vegas. So it mm. all worked out. It was just one of those terrible, uh, like a tornado of yeah. <laughs> weird events that came together in a very high stake situation. How would you have handled that? you know, maybe a few episodes further into your career, that situation of like, don't put the camera here or all the kind of, you know, personal politics and whatnot. I think that personal, I've never had before or after anything that personal all happened at once. So that's like, was crazy. But now, of course, you know, as you move along in your career, you just get more confident with, where a camera goes because you're mm-hmm. thinking differently, right? I I would block a scene in terms of where I thought the dynamic of the scene would go emotionally, and then I would say, okay, you know, this is a pr- this is a pretty angle, so I'm going to put a camera here because I can see really great light here and whatever. Right. Um, but now I, or, or not now, but you're asking me a few episodes in, what would I have done differently? Mm-hmm. And I think a few episodes. 
in might not have cut it. I think Mm. I needed more time to be able to handle something of that uh, caliber. I I really do. Is there a moment you can identify where you were like, it's clicking? Like the the director, I, 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 I imagine myself to be, you know, there's always room to improve, but I feel like I'm in that skin right now. Oh my gosh. Yes. I would say probably the first time I actually, I mean, I love doing Alex Mack. My wife says, you cannot just go in there and talk about Alex Mack. You're not allowed. (laughs) You're not allowed to talk about that, just that show. It's like your first love. You know what I mean? So I talk about it with such fondness because it taught me so much and the pressure wasn't on. It was the opposite of CSI, right? The pressure is all on. It's like, oh my God, he's, this is a big show. So I think that in some ways it was Nickelodeon mm. that I was like, I, I, I knew I could do this. And mm-hmm. as I was learning, it didn't feel like I would set up a shot where I would have the master looking at a kid who's leaning against a locker. Yeah. Okay. And the other kid is maybe the back is to, to me as, as a master. And my DP, very sweet would say, hey, you know what? If you just move them like this, the master could be, you know, 50-50, and then I could, you could see down the, the coverage, which is where they're going to be probably living in, this close-ups, you're going to be looking down the hall. You're going to have what's called depth. Well, of course, I didn't know that. But that wasn't like I came in, I don't know where to put, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm like, I'm doing it like this for this reason. Hey, I've got a, something to teach you. Right. And it, was, it was gentle. And then I would right. learn. And that didn't take that long for me to go, right, depth. That's not that hard to learn, Right. by the way. Right, right, So right, I right. got better and better and better. And it became easier. It did feel right. It felt right from the beginning that I had that job. Like Carrie Washington once said to me, she's like, you know what? I go, what? She goes, this is the exact right job for you. <laughs> and I said, I think you're right. She goes, you just come in here and say things and leave. I'm like... You know, I do. I think it feels like the right job for me. I'll never forget that. It was so cute. But yeah, it's always felt right. That doesn't mean I don't run up against like, holy shit. Right, right. What well, are you're we not you're do not now? doing the job if if you don't if that doesn't happen, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, how do you how do you block? Like, how do you go in to block a scene? What are you mm. thinking about when you do I, it? Well, with you know, I. I do not have a BA in anything close to acting, <laughs> but I, I did take, you know, we were required at NYU film school to take two acting classes before we could take directing. And so that's great. I appreciate what I know is happening by the trained actor. I know that I, I know that I don't have the appetite to tap into it like they do. I was going to say, I know, I, I know I can't do it, but I think I could. I just, it's not what my desire is. Um, okay. And so I, I, I kind of begin every scene from, you know, where is the actor? Um, and I try and imagine as many scenarios as possible that are truthful and emotionally driven for how they might move through the scene because, as you know, you get these scripts that often have very little blocking and you've got to come in and present a pitch, even if it's broad strokes of what you think, where you think people move and, and, and why. And so, right. you know, from there, I usually try and 
block out something elegant that will probably not be right for TV. <laughs> but I, I, I want to keep that muscle engaged. You know, like I feel like if you just go right to the, what's the simplest way to do it? You know, you're, you're just going to become oh, a simple director. But yeah, that's kind of the approach. And then the, the, the shot quantity will kind of dictate any little changes that I might need to make to accomplish it in the time allotted. But I, 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 I say all the time, I feel like blocking is directing in TV because like you said, if they don't want to swing the camera or if they don't want high angle shots, like, well, however we end up piecing this together with the composition of each and movement of each frame, if we have buy-in on the blocking, that's really the difference between your episode and mine, right? Like outside of specials and like maybe entry points into scenes and transitions, like it feels like that's kind of the the real meat and potatoes of of the interpretation of what's happening. Right, it's through movement. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. But then you get on shows where they're like, they don't want people to move. And and that always baffles me. Oh my you know, God. Because they don't want, I have one in particular. I don't understand um, it. Yeah. I, I, I did discover on the one where I had the challenge that what I think was going on underneath it all was that the showrunner had a traumatic experience of maybe having to cut some dialogue because it was happening on the move. And so it turned into this like mandate to to not have people move. And that to me was felt like we were making a bad play because there are times when that works. And then there are times when that's absolutely ridiculous because people are not potted plants in dramatic situations. I couldn't agree. You said something that I think is really interesting. You said, I think he had a traumatic event because mm. he had to cut something together. And if they just did a little therapy, like mm. I'd be happy to pay for it. Maybe we <laughs> should put that in the budget for a DJ, just a little therapy. So I, have a, I, I look at a script and I go, the script seems really, really super long, guys. Do you think maybe right. we should cut some? Oh, God, no, we don't want a short script. I'm right. Like, Why don't you want a short script? We had a short script last time. It was terrible. Right. Why was it so fucking terrible? You know right. what you do to a short script? You add a scene. Right. That's yeah. the big problem. Yeah. I don't understand. Otherwise, sometimes they wanted to shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot. Well, now you have a long script. Doesn't right. make any sense. You're cutting all the beauty out of it, as we know, transitions, right. movement of camera. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mm-hmm. It, I don't get it. And and you talk to, you know, producer directors. And they are in agreement with us. They're like, no right. shit, we should have shorter scripts, but they can't decide, which I yeah. understand. I yeah. do. Some people, they're, that's what they want to do, but it, it really does hurt the way that we tell stories. There, that's, the big, that's the big, you know, coming out of this strike, and I guess for uh, a, a timestamp for folks, the WGA has agreed in principle to uh, a tentative agreement. So we are not yet fully out of that that strike with that union. But, you know, I hope that when we do get back to work, that collaborative nature can be elevated, you know, because I think that I know what I saw a lot was that you said something earlier about the fear on with the CSI experience. And I feel like, like fear is a big driver in the industry as for how decisions get made. And my hope is that like, 
if more people are aware of what their, and I want to, I want to be semantically gentle here, <laughs> you know, but if more people are aware of like, you know, where their, their, their services are best applied, you know, then. Yes. Okay. Very good. You know, like you can, we can have, we can really <laughs> elevate things. Right. Because like, right. you know, there's plenty of times I'll be like, Hey, writers, that's your fucking question. Like if that, I don't know what's going to happen five episodes from now, you know, but like, but yeah. right now we're, we're talking about this scene and the blocking. I think I got it. I think I got a good idea. Yeah. And, and, I, and, I, and, yeah. I, and sometimes like, you know, the collaboration just gets stamped, stomped on because people are, are so territorial about this idea of like who gets the credit. And I think it's led to um, a lot of decisions being made by folks who maybe aren't the best to be making the decision. I agree. And I don't, I don't know what it takes. I mean, I, I've never worked with HBO. I know you have. And I've heard... I mean, ever since Sopranos, which changed television in my mind, that they have a a way of relaxing and letting go to let the creatives do what they're supposed to do. And Mm -hmm. it's clearly the best place to watch TV now. I mean, I just, when I hear that sound, I go, it's going to be good. It might not be my taste. It might not be this or that, but I know it's going to be stellar. And I right. think it's stellar because of what you just said, Pete, which is to let people do their jobs that are they're hired to do. And if you don't like it, don't have them back. Right. It's very simple to me. I don't know. It's not going to kill your TV show if you right. didn't like somebody's cut and you couldn't save it. Or like you said, the fear goes, right. what are we talking about? This is a creative space. Right. Actors want to have fluidity. Most actors want to have the freedom. And if you are constantly, you know, tying them up yeah. and telling them they can't do this and they can't do that, it, it just leaves a bad taste. Yeah. And, 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 you, know, and really. people stop giving out ideas, right? It's like, yes. well, what's the point of, you know, my light bulb moments, my epiphanies have no, yes. have no currency here. So, you know. Oh God, yes, and it just it just takes it out of them. And I think one of the saddest things, and I'm sure you've experienced this when you come back year after season after season season on a show where you see them start out like this huh. by season yeah. three or four, and then they're like this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, mm-hmm. I'm so. Why does it have to? Why? Yeah, that's you know we were I was having another conversation with a friend. And we were talking about how hard it can be to make a show done and you're always like in these battles. And yeah. I was like, you know, the thing is that everybody's doing exactly what they're there to do in this weird way. So so, yeah. so someone's there to protect an interest that makes no sense for the show. Right, right, <laughs> but, right, to you. But to but, them, but to don't. them, that's what they're there to do. And so, like, you're you're in this battle of like, it's almost like the the writers axiom of like, there are no villains, right? Everybody yeah. has a, a a real reason as to why they're doing real it. Story and, and a real a real yeah. story. And and mm-hmm. back to your earlier thing, it's like, how are how well can you navigate the unknown of of, of people's mm-hmm. personalities, like the, the ridiculous, you know, like whatever it might be, yes. like. And and that's the I think that is the cocktail of of what you know. As I look at my prep document of you, it's 
three pages. That's how you get three pages of credits, people, <laughs> by being able to do these things. So um, <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, it is tiring too. Like how yeah. much do you, when you finish like an episode, do you just come home and think, well, you've got a baby, well, toddler now. Yeah. You got a toddler. But don't you just want to crash for like 15 yeah. hours of solid sleep? I, I got to say it's been, it was such a journey to get an episode that like, yeah. You, you you can book me. There was there were a couple of years I did like thirteen to fifteen a year for like three years, and I don't no. think I was ever not prepping while editing the last one. And I just kind of I like that. I don't know. I'm, I'm a glutton for for time management challenges. Okay. Because you get you find a system, you know, like of how to do the work systematically but still creatively and I feel like that's kind of like um, I don't know that's hallowed ground to try and land on Hi I'm Jonathan Judge director of Young Sheldon Life in Pieces and you're listening to Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman Transitions A Director's Journey and Motivational Handbook is Pete Chapman's book from Michael Weezy Productions the reviews are in. Greg Berlanti says, There's a reason why everyone who works with Pete falls in love with his work. The lessons he imparts here are invaluable. Do yourself a favor and read it cover to cover. From Sarah Gamble, Pete's sharing gold nuggets that will spare you a ton of wasted time and help you channel your drive, talent, and ambition in the most productive way. And from Jesse Williams, this business has everything to do with preparation and expectations. Transitions grounds lessons in reality while empowering our artistry to run free. Not an easy balance to execute. Transitions, a director's journey and motivational handbook is available on Amazon and anywhere else you get your books. Don't forget about your mom and pop shops, people. So... I have to ask, what was the transition like going from kid stuff to um, dramas? It seemed like very similar, but longer. Hmm. It, it really did because I was given a show called Second Noah. That was my first, it was for ABC. Mm -hmm. It was executive produced by Pam Long, who's also still uh, creating, just won an Emmy like two seasons ago for something that she did. So she she was one of the first people to give me, you know, that was a big job. And that was about kids, starred Ricky Marsden, who was 19 at the time. And it was pretty good one for me because it was about, there still is a ton of kids in it, you know what I mean? And parents and mm -hmm. animals. So somehow, you know, that was my, my little stepping stone. And it seemed, it seemed really good. And then they started doing a bunch of stuff in Canada, shows up in Canada, like anthology series and stuff like that, which... Uh, was also great because it was different genres. It was like, I did some horror and I did. So I, it just, it, it seemed like it, it, I was at the stage where they'd call me and go, can you be in Canada tomorrow? Yeah. <laughs> yes, I can. Right. So it was that kind of thing. They just threw me around because it was, I was the kid, the new kid. And it was, it worked pretty well. I mean, my, my, I have probably, I could count on one hand, really tough situations that I, that I went into. It's that first CSI was just, I wasn't ready. She was scared. You know, that thing that <laughs> it was just one of those tornadoes 
But that was one weird thing that happened. Most right. of the time it would go fairly well. I mean, I, I had some some tricky DPs starting out, you know, in the 90s. There were, they seemed a lot of them, well, they were mostly white guys in their 40s and 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. And some of them would be very open to me and a lot of them would, would not be. So that was yeah. my hardest thing. It wasn't usually the actors. That usually went fine. The writers went fine. But it was DPs because that was also what I didn't know as well. So I wasn't mm-hmm. as confident and I had to do a lot of like, I'm trying to learn, but not act like they're uh, doing it. Like I still hear stories now where directors will say they'll block a scene and then they look at the DP and they go, what do you want to do to the DP? Right. Which I have never done in right. my life. I don't right. care what I was brand new. Right. What do you want to do? I would say, here's what I want to do. And then they could tell me why it was lame. But right. I would tell them what I wanted to do. <laughs> got to have, you got to have yeah. a perspective, even if it's to be, to be yeah. molded. Yeah. That's right. But I've never had anybody. I mean, I've never walked. I've never had the privilege of saying to somebody, what do you, mm-hmm. what do you want? I just think that's cr- a little bit crazy. And a little bit, if a woman did that, you would be out. There would be, that would go down to this floor. In regards to that, do you, when you have a DP available for prep, which is not always the case. Right. Do you meet with the DP before you have kind of determined your blocking shot list ideas or or oh, absolutely. or do you wait until you've got a handle on that and then have a conversation? I think it depends. I said yes, absolutely, but it, I think it does depend on the show, if I'm familiar with the show, if I'm not familiar with the show, I want to meet with that person kind of early on just to mm-hmm. sort of talk in general terms about about the episode about how things work trying to pick up any bits of information that i can if it's a show that i've done a lot i might not meet with that person for a little while until i get more like okay i am definitely going to use that you know room to do you know that set to do that scene i'm going to move that scene outside i'll check with he or she to make sure that that's cool with them if they think that's a smart idea because that's going to determine the whole day, you know, if I'm shooting outside. Um, So I usually wait for later if it's a show I've done before and I know the DP and the DP knows me. But if it's a new show or a show that I'm less secure about because Mm -hmm. of my experience with it, I will meet meet with them Mm -hmm. as early as I can. And what does that meeting look like for you? Like how do you, what do you step into that meeting looking to determine or like what kind of questions are you asking? Well, for me, I'll I'll say I really think this the the whole episode is sort of building toward this scene. This to me is the climax of the scene. And trying to build tension to that or trying to build humor for that to, to that moment of revelation or whatever, you know, the 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 veil being lifted. That's that's our moment. Right. And uh to do that, I'm thinking uh this, this, and this about lighting. Let's look at our lighting specifically, or let's look at the way the camera's going to move specifically, or whatever that might be. Just and, and these are initial thoughts, initial right. vibe, feeling. What you know? What are your thoughts about it? Oh, I like that scene too. Or he'll say, or she'll say. Mostly it's he. I mean, I've worked with probably three female, four female DPs, but that was only in the last five years. Before right. it's always been male DPs, and I'm really so happy that that shifted but it's sort of like that 
you know, we'll go through sometimes page turn. Yeah. You know, it, it just sort of depends it's, on the person. Sometimes they're busy. They don't can't even meet with me. Right. Right. It's such a case by case. I'm, I'm, I'm always curious because I, I feel like sometimes, you know, on certain shows, you get a sense of like DPs that kind of just want to steamroll it. And so oh, yeah. I, 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 in those scenarios, I try and come with a pretty solid idea of what I want. March. I'm open, I'm open to suggestions, yes. but like, I also don't want it to like go, you know, to left field when I don't have anything to offer yet that I would stand on. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's an interesting situation. Those yes. are kind of worst case scenarios, you know? Um, right. But yeah, no, I was very curious in that process because we all approach it so much differently. I, I have a question for you. Um, and of course I've been doing this, this is my 30th year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, believe. And in when I started, you know, I did a little show called 90210 at the very beginning. A little ditty, a little ditty. A little ditty called 90210. <laughs> and I have a very good story about that. And it has to do with tone meetings. And mm-hmm. I, when I started tone meetings, and for the audience who might not know what that is, my wife always says, I say, I'm going to a tone meeting. And she goes, <laughs> that's hilarious she's been yeah. doing it for 30 years she thinks it's very funny i say no you know what it is so it's basically when the writer of the episode sewed possibly is there used to be the showrunner was there and then me the person who plays the director i kind of don't remember anybody else maybe an ad to mm. something but there were not producers back right. then there was no certainly editors not either? editors. Okay. Not editors. There was nobody like that. I I remember this this episode because I did two of them. It was the last season. And John Eisenstrath did wrote the episode that I was doing. He's still a big guy now. And we were alone in a room, with, like I said, maybe an AD. And we were just talking. And it was so great. And it was about Sharon Darty's character. I think it was Sharon Darty's character who was pregnant with Ian Zerling's baby, and she was having troubles. Anyway, I said this funny thing happened to my mom when she was pregnant with me, and somebody had made her a cake, and my mom was really worried about gaining all this weight and all of that. And my dad and she were talking about this cake, and they had this cake, and they were in the kitchen, and my mom was like, you need to take that cake to work. I can't be around the cake. And he's like, I can't take a cake to work. They're talking, they're talking. And finally, my mom takes the cake, and she goes in the bedroom or something, like something like to take the cake. And what do you want me to do? Put it in the bedroom. So now she's standing in the bedroom. She has this cake, and my dad comes in, and he, and he takes the cake, and he puts it in the sink that was in a bathroom door that was open and he smashes the cake. And my mom's mad that he smashed the cake and she sits on the bed and the bed breaks. <laughs> so all this great stuff kind of happens. Right. And he loved it. And we put the bed breaking in. I don't remember about the cake, but the, she, she was upset about her weight gain or whatever. And he was telling her she was beautiful. And then she sits on the bed and the bed breaks. It was one of those pitches that I would feel so bad about taking any time up. Like I'm thinking right. that UPM is here. He's got a lot to do or she's got that other producers here. That so-and-so's here. So-and-so's here. So-and-so. Okay. I'll do that. 
Mm-hmm. That sounds good. Like I'm so insecure about taking up time. Mm-hmm. I would never pitch mm-hmm. that because what if, you know, God forbid they say that's a stupid idea and I, now I feel bad. You know what I mean? Like, right, right. It's just right. a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's weird. And now I feel like for me, it's checking off things that they want to see in the scenes. And it almost feels like a, just like a checklist rather mm-hmm. than more of how do we add right. to it. Right. Well, that kind of goes back to to the earlier conversation about like there's almost n- no belief that, and I'd say everyone <laughs> might have something additive here, yeah. right? Like there, yeah. like there's one like we can all execute from it, you know. But like, is there a possibility that everybody on the, in on this crew has maybe one thing that could elevate this, you know, to a higher level, and then the aggregate of all of those kind of ideas being considered, you know, tweaked input into the yeah. script. Like you you make something that's so much better because, you know, a lot, you do get that, you do get that, you know, typed out document of what was said in the tone meeting and, you know, and I keep it with my script, but it's very much like, you know, make sure these three things happen. And, you know, I find it very useful in, in actor stuff sometimes because maybe yeah. there's a, dis- there's a, there's a conversation to be had about what the intent is here and hopefully mm-hmm. you can rely on something that's more biblical than anything else, <laughs> you know, because it's coming from, it's coming from yes. the, the show. Higher, and, higher, higher. Yeah, ground. exactly. But, <laughs> Good you know, award. but it, yeah, you're right. It's a, but that, but is that, is that all just a function of the, the overwritten script, the lack of appropriate time, you know, that we, we just have to come in and, 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 you know, we can't take any pitches. We have to swing on the first pitch. Yeah. I, I feel like it is like the first time I saw a room full of people in for a tone meeting was a very, it was a show that was a long time ago and it was on day two. The one thing I did like about it, it was on day two of prep instead of day nine of prep where you're like, dudes, I, I could have been your advocate here. I could right. have been helping all this time, but instead I'm behind the eight ball. Well, Allison, is this color good? Do you think this will be good? Do you think, it, I don't right. know, she might want something different. I have right. no idea. Yeah, right. I like that. But, you know, so I think tone meetings earlier and smaller. I would mm-hmm. say earlier and smaller so that we feel, and maybe this is just, I need to do more therapy where I could say, mm-hmm. I don't care what y'all have to do with your day and time. And you, you all make fun of long tone meetings. Like I've seen them like roll their eyes. Uh oh, so and so's tone meeting. That's going to be three right. hours long. And I just think, right. whoa, dude, don't say that shit in front of me. Right. I'm trying to, this is my job that I care about. Right. I don't want right. to hear your shit about tone meetings, you know? So I think sometimes people forget that we are also sensitive, mm. and that we are, there is a softness to us. And that's not a bad thing. Yeah. Actually, a great thing. And yeah. we shouldn't be, you know, where we're just on a on a machine like everybody else. Otherwise, just have one director get tired for mm-hmm. twenty. You know, it used to be twenty two episodes. <laughs> they probably oh. could have done it. I don't know. But you have new people come in because they are you, and then they're me, and mm-hmm. then there's somebody else, and that's beautiful. That's what should be happening. 
Right. And I might need a longer tone meeting. I mean, I don't like a lot of baloney. I mean, I remember having a tone meeting with Shonda Rhimes about a really, it was a really, really emotionally devastating, probably the most emotionally devastating hour of television I ever had to direct. Hmm. And it was for private practice in which one of the main characters is brutally raped in her office after work. Right. And it was awful. It was awful. But the way Shonda and I talked about it was so, um, I don't even know how to say it, except it was, um, there were words that were used, definitely. There were suggestions that were made, but mm -hmm. it was very dark. It was very uh, visceral, mm -hmm. even in our tone meeting. It was like, here's the moment that this happens. Right. I don't want to see her face. I don't want to see her face until this moment. I don't want the other, whatever it was, you know, like there were a lot of very specific things that she wanted in that, in that episode. And I understood it right. completely. It was very strange. And the way I shot it, I was so proud of the way that I shot it. I was so proud of the actor, just, I had a lot of pride about that episode. And that was done in a small, it was a small tone meeting and it was pretty specific, but it was also like, I don't know, that it was very visceral. Hmm. The communication was very visceral. So, what, kind of, what kind of time did you have to shoot that scene? We carved out a, a lot of time. That, hmm. that was not, I don't remember ever feeling time concerned. I don't know. You know, I, right, that was right. one of those things that because that was such, that was it, that the AD made sure that we had the time that we needed to talk and to, to you know, talk to the crew too, and just to kind of get everybody in a space that could handle what was about to happen. Right. Um, so we really did. We were mindful of that. I, we might even have had an extra day because it was Shonda was, was really good at that. Well, that whole Shonda land great at allowing us to do what we had to do. Sometimes it right. would bleed over. You know, if it was one of those episodes, they would allow it. Right. Right. Yeah, what I love about everything you're saying is that it's it's like this this journey to really imprint an episode with what you bring to the table. And I yeah. think that, that I think that that gets kind of that get often that gets kind of eliminated from the conversation of what's happening. It's like it really does make a difference of 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 and it really elevates when you can find how to bring you to the table and make that episode. And I wonder when you when you work now, is that something like do you do you search for that in the in the in the jobs that you get? You know, are you kind of watching shows and saying, I really, I really have something to bring to that show and then trying to like, you know, find a way to the to the chair for that show, for a show like that? You know, I I don't really do it that way. I don't know why, but I, I think what happens for me is because of showrunners that I've worked with, like Jason Kadams, I've done seven, seven or 
I think seven different shows with him mm-hmm. since Roswell, the original Roswell. And I just kind of stick with him. Like mm-hmm. he does a new show and he calls me over. I just did an Amazon show with him last spring. And then this summer or this last spring, we did uh, a show called Dear Edward. Mm-hmm. And that, so I think what I mostly do is I stick with like the showrunners because they seem to like what I bring and there's respect there rather than hopping around too much to where you're like, oh, you don't really get me and I don't really get you, which is totally fine. But I don't want to walk into that too much now. You know what I mean? Back in right. the day, I had to walk into every room that was that was that would open their door to me. Now I don't have to do that. So right. to me, it's the showrunners. Have you, correct me if I'm wrong, have you, have you been a producing director on a show? Yes, I was a producer, director on a show called Transparent. Okay. And so for a season, yes, tell me, and, tell and me. also another show called a, a Heartbeat. Okay, that was a medical show, and I was a producer director on that. And what what's your talk about? You know, compare your perspective on that job. You know, or what or the realities of that job from like being an episodic director to like being the producing director, and how you and how you handled the job. Well, transparent was already you know, an Emmy award-winning show, hyper, you know, very, very successful, very unusual show in that Jill, who's now Joey, had his way now of working, which she would say, there's enough time and there's enough money. Mm -hmm. We don't have to worry about anything. And she had these really great, like a list of like five things. And the first one was be chill, which I always try to remember. The first first thing that you, you think to yourself is, be chill. And I think that's so important. And that's one thing that I will carry with me forever because I am a little bit of a, as, as my friend called me a pepper pot. So I do have a, I do have this kind of energy sometimes where I have to go be chill. Hmm. So that show is fun because we hired a lot of new directors or directors that have not had, you know, an opportunity to have a voice trans directors uh, female directors, of course. And it was, that was just very powerful in that regard. They also had a way of working, which was like a, like a, a sort of a method of, of things to ask yourself about transitions. She called them, she mm-hmm. called them beats. I call them transitions. Wait, what did she call them? A oh, beat change. She would uh-huh. say a beat change and the beat change happens there, a beat change. And if she had more than two beat changes in a scene, it was called a bubble scene. So there was that was like a very unusual show to be put into that saddle, you right. know, because it wasn't like your typical. So I can't even, I worked a lot with the editing, which was really, I had three beautiful editors on that show and that was really spectacular to do. Yeah. But the other show that I would say is a little bit more typical would have been Heartbeat, which is okay. uh, a show that I, I worked on with uh, Jill Gordon, was the uh, head writer on that show, creator of the show. And that was really fun because you got to hire the people that you know and, and like and work with them. 
So that part was fantastic. And, and it was, you know, I have two directors, I should say, Robert Ellis. I don't know if you're watching this, but like Robert Ellis, for whatever reason, I'm telling him, you know, I, 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 have, I appear on set and all of a sudden I'm asking him, you know, why is that guy on that side of the bed? Maybe he should be on this side of the bed. I'm sorry, Robert Ellis, if you're watching this. Like I did the exact horrible thing. Horrible thing. He's completely it, capable of putting whoever he needs on the other side of the bed. But it, I will. I've I've done the job though too, and and I, I I will admit, sometimes you walk in and you're like, you know, you can't you can't right. help it. And, Leave and, it alone. Yeah, it's 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 it's. If you didn't have that muscle and that and that reflex, you wouldn't be good for the job. But it is it is interesting know. though. Really? Cause you, but then you can watch and you can like learn stuff. I think I took this from someone that we had interviewed and I, I can't remember, but they, they said their goal was like, they want to see somebody do a shot that they, maybe it was Michael Spiller. They want to see somebody okay. do a shot that they didn't think of and they want to be angry about it, but they also want to be oh. like, that's cool. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Like, and, and, and. Oh, that's so, that's so honest. Yeah. I and say. I. I had somebody do a shot like that, like this doc, like it was on a glass desk and a document was handed to the lawyer and the camera was underneath the desk and the shit comes flying down. I was like, fuck, that's cool. Damn, you know? that's and, good. And then, but I was like, all right, I guess that takes my low angle shot out of the mix. God, that's so but funny. Or it inspires a different low angle. Or it inspires a different one, you know. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll hinge it, make it totally. Yeah, different. that's right, hinge it. <laughs> maybe we just try. Exactly. Yeah, that is, it is funny, our egos. I think we should talk about egos. Yes. Because definitely needed. You got to have an ego. Do mm -hmm. this job. Mm -hmm. You have to have confidence to do this job. You don't want to see somebody in there in the corner, mm -hmm. not know what they're doing. But I've learned that you don't really need to lead mm. with it. I think you lead with something bigger. You lead with the story. Mm -hmm. Lead with the story. If you're leading with the story as you see it. Now, I have thought, done my work, done my prep, done my discussions, read my tone notes, walk mm -hmm. in and I'll say, blah, 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 blah. And the actor goes, I've had it happen, I think, on Grey's. Oh, yeah, Ken Raver. She's like, that's not true. We're not, we're not having troubles with each other anymore at all. Right. I'm like, what, Cam? I have it right here. They're still in distress. They still because I, I blocked them in the elevator where Cam was foreground and I put Kevin background right. for that reason. Right. And then two lovebirds come in and they're watching the lovebirds. And mm -hmm. he, she's like, Allison, not mean, not not weird. She said, Why is Kevin back there? And I said, Well, and then I said, well, you guys are still kind of not really. She's like, that's not true. <laughs> Holy shit. So, yeah. So what did my ego say? Too bad. You right. better make sure. I talked to her. She talked to me. We thought about it. She's like, I think I can still make the blocking work with what I'm going to mm. do. I'm like, great. And so there we go. Right. That's respect. I was right. there when Kim Raver was cast for the role. Right. I was in the chemistry read. I've right. known her for 15 years. You know what I mean? But what about a newly director? Right, right. Who gets the, gets the thing, and then all of a sudden, the actor's like, that's not true at all. Like, it isn't? It isn't true? Now what do I do, you know? And, and the, ego, the ego will make you defensive. 
And then, yes. and then that's no, that's a, that's a recipe for disaster with, you know, disaster. Anyone that's not a guest star on the show. <laughs> you better believe it. Yes. So that ego, you have to make friends with it, mm-hmm. him or her. Mm-hmm. Make friends with it. We know we have him. He's going to be back there in the chair with us. Thank God. Mm-hmm. But also, be chill. Yeah. There's so many, like, you know, analogies. Be chill is great, you know, like because even as you're leading with, with what the story is, you still have to have a have an aura about you, and a chill aura will yeah. always be 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 more well received. But I I find like you know there are all these I have a, I have a bunch of post it notes on my two computers here just to kind of keep me honest. Um, and yeah. there's one that I I really love, which is um, it says I feel. So I feel mm. versus I think, because we can argue Great. about what I think you know, but we can't have an argument about what I feel. And, and just to remove that grenade pin <laughs> from somebody I'm who gonna wants write to that be right. I'm writing that down right now. Yeah, I feel. I love it. Um, Great. What, what if we were to, you know, instead of mm. do this? And I wonder if this comes from Judith Weston's book. I'd have to double check because I, I read stuff and make notes and I don't necessarily yeah. uh, put, a, put a bibliography on my post-it note. Um, right, right, right. And then I'd like to try. I think this is from Judith Weston's book. But yeah, it just, it, 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 it weirdly allows me also to preserve my ego because yeah. if I say, let's do this and you say no, then that stings a little bit less than, well, what if we were to, and you're like, well, I don't think that what if scenario makes the most sense. Then it's like, okay, right. we weren't really talking about what I've decided over 10 days of prep. <laughs> right, right. This is more of a hypothetical uh, uh, exercise and cool. Yeah. Let's move on. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Oh, it, I, it's love, a, I love both those things you said. I feel I'd like to try. I think I say a version of, a version of I'd like to try. I think it, mm-hmm. I'm thinking this might be, but I said think. That's so yeah. interesting. I love that. Hmm. Yeah. So I'm thinking yeah, you might be over here. What do you think? That's kind of how I do. Yeah, it's a, it's a, you know, it, that's great. Whatever cocktail works, it, it's kind of like, yeah. Mine, mine was kind of also designed from from some challenging actors and trying to avoid the ego driven feelings that could come from snarky engagement, you know. So like, I feel like right. our whole part of our toolkit is like, you know, finding these little turns of phrase or 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 whatever it may be to just kind of get through the day with as little friction as possible while while still you know in a way trying to get everybody to do their job the way you want them to do it yeah very well said (laughs) (laughs) the way you want them to do it funny because that's ego too right like the way i think that should be done it's Mm -hmm. like have you ever had this happen where well two 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 things have happened to me and i don't know about you but you you work on a scene Mm -hmm. do the scene perhaps it's late i don't know and you're driving home and you're like fuck i totally know what that scene's about and Mm -hmm. now i'm thinking about how i shot it 
can I cut it to where mm. it's about what I now know, drive it on the freeway, right. what the scene is about. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've had that in innumerable times. And I've also had this right? thing in, in, which is, it's not the converse, but it's the other side of it, which is I've recently watched a couple of things that I've done. And like, I remember where I was like kind of feeling a certain way about maybe not getting something the way that I saw it. And then I've watched okay. it as of late and I'm like, this is really good. That really works. Mm. You know, and you mean and, even with the ch- with the changes yeah, that somebody or, else made, exactly, or even like not getting the moment per se, you know, the way that I envisioned it playing yes. out, and even walking away sometimes from from a scene like uh, we could have got, you know, it needed a little bit more, you know, sauce on it, but you know, yeah, we got it, we got it in the can, and then I'm like, wow, that's really fucking good, and and it's and yeah. it's with remo- yeah. it's like with distance from all of the oh my god the emotional right. connection to like what it was or wasn't and and whatnot and and you're kind of like wow that's that's some good work good work allison <laughs> good work good work we did okay <laughs> yeah you know i i was doing a scene in for dear edward just beautiful story about a boy real story about a boy who loses his entire family due to a terrible plane crash in which everybody dies but him. And it actually is based on a real story that happened like 15 years ago and I'm going to say Finland or something like that. Right. Where a kid, you know, he lived. And then, wow. uh, so the, the boy is on his own. Anyway, not is living with an aunt who is estranged from the family. Um, played by Taylor Schilling, who's amazing. So uh, there were two scenes in a garage that was stuffed with his parents' belongings and his brother. So it would, you know, have the mother's name and the sweaters or the dad. And just, so this poor woman, this new auntie, who's now becoming a mother, yeah. has this garage shoved. And there were two scenes. And I thought, how is this scene different than the other? It was about, he was in, in the scene, all alone, walking through the stuff, and then the aunt comes in. Two same exact scenario twice. Right. And I kept saying, do we need both scenes? And they're like, mm. yeah, I think we do. And, and then, you know, they gave me a reason why. So I'm, the night before I'm shooting, I'm rolling around in my bed. I'm like, what can I do? What can I do? And I thought, oh my God, what if I made those boxes talk? What if they spoke to him? Mm. They were sounds of his parents. They were sounds of his previous life. They were sounds of the home. So right. I went through and I looked at the pilot, which was shot, was, was being shot as I was prepping because huh. I was doing the second episode. And I said to the editor, let's cut some of those words of calling the son and, and the, mm. the end of that scene where they're together. And I put all of that in so that this, so it starts out quietly and then it builds and it builds and it builds until Edward turns around. Here comes the aunt. Yes. I was like, that's how you make the scene, you know, yes. different. It doesn't have to always be what what can we add? Right. That's what we add? great. That's great. Even just you explaining that, like I get chills, like feeling the impact of of what that is for the character, but also appreciating how the audience would be receiving that. You know, because yeah. now because like you said, now there's a progression. 
you know, right. that differentiates it. From, it's got a different emotional value. It's got a heightened emotional value from, right. from the first one. Yeah. yeah. Good choice. Yeah. Those are the kinds of things we, you know, wrestle with and think about and mm-hmm. go to bed with and wake up with. And I think that sometimes people don't really know. Like when I started, they used to call us, you're double parked. As a director? Yeah, you're just double yeah. parked. Yeah. We're going to wait for you to get out of the way, and then the next one comes. Yeah. And they're double parked. And then they get out of the way. and then Because yeah. we're just going to do what we want in the editing room anyway. It's like, well. Not if I have something to say about it. <laughs> well, they do have the final say as of right now, right? They yeah. do. But everything they're choosing is ours right. too. Yeah. Right? We worked with the, we worked with the actors. We I, were there getting the sweat. I hate to say it, but what it is, what it is. On one on one show, I was having such a back and forth with, you know, people above me, that I started yeah. shooting coverage first, so oh. they could not come in and pull the threads out of what I was doing, as they had done to me on three separate occasions. What? Um, and so then it was like, oh, well, we, uh, I don't think that, you know, they should be leaning on that door frame. I'm like, I, I, I shot the coverage, you know, I'm, I just, I'm going to fall back and get the wide and then we're moving on. So a little, little bit, it was a little bit of a gangster move, but I was, I was tired gangsta of it. Gangster move, sometimes we got to <laughs> um, I mean, we're out there in the trenches. Yeah. Cause you just you gotta, you know, sometimes it's like, ah, oh, man, I don't know. Some of these comments, I feel like. I know you'll understand, but sometimes it's like, this will be, you will appreciate this be, beyond the fear. The fear is, is, is making you say, don't do this or don't do that. But when you get beyond the fear and you actually have to experience this, you know, I'm willing to not be invited back because I put this right. person at the fucking door frame because I, I think it's better, you know? Right. So, you know. And, and like I said, I don't think it's good. You tell me one scenario where leaning on a door frame is going to kill uh, right. a scene. I don't right. think so. I just don't think so. Yeah. And you're right. The fear, but how do we, it's like going back to therapy. You know, how do I manage, how do I soothe myself through my own anxieties? And right. I don't make that somebody else's responsibility. It's my responsibility. Right. And they have their responsibility to themselves. And when they splash it all over me, I have to just step back. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sorry that you're feeling all that fear and I'm going to do the best I can with what I have. And that's it. Yeah. And then they do get our footage and they, as of right now, they usually have the last say and they can cut it the way they want to cut it. But right. that doesn't mean I'm not going to cut mine first and do right. the best I can. Right. This okay. is cool. This is, I, I, I should say for folks listening, I don't, we haven't had a conversation before and I feel like I've, I've known you for years. I feel um, <laughs> This is thinking, great. We should have breakfast. How do yeah. we do that? <laughs> yeah, no, this just is, keep going. This is great. Um, but the, I have, I have, well, I have, I guess this is the Abbey. This question is the Abbey. Okay. Um, Give it to me. What are you looking for to, oh, no, let me, let me rephrase that. What are you, 
What are your career goals when we return from the from the strike? Is it to, is, are there new targets for you? Is it particular types of shows or genres? Like, you know, I feel like we've all had this at this point, you know, five yeah. month time out t- and time to reflect. Mm-hmm. Perhaps, like, is there anything new that you're pointing your 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 vision board toward? Yeah, I think that I want to get off the episodic treadmill. You know, my kids are in college, just finishing college. This will be their last year. So I don't, you know, I, for years, I was very cautious of doing Mm -hmm. anything different. So yeah, I think talking to my agents and seeing, I think we're in the same, I think we both have, you're with CAA, right? Yeah. Yeah, me too. And Whenever I've wanted to do a movie, they've always said, well, you know, you're going to be very low on the rung in terms of the money and the this and the that. And I was always like, oh, shit, I can't afford it. You know, right. but now I, I probably can't afford it. Right. So, yeah, I'd like to do. Oh, I just saw a movie. I was going to say called Bottoms. Have you seen it? No, no. Oh, my God. It's a new. Well, I'm going to say new. She's probably been directing for five or ten years. You know, I don't know how new she is, but a female director who wrote this movie. And I thought, oh my God, would that be so fun? So coming of age, something with comedy, Mm -hmm. comedy horror, I also love. So I absolutely have new, new thoughts and ideas about where I'd like my career to go. I don't want to be doing the same shows. They've served me well. I've learned so much. Absolutely great. But it would be fun to do a movie. Yeah. Right. Well, I'm going to speak that into existence for you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and then I, I was, it. I was gonna. So now this is the martini. Okay, martini and coming up. It's. I ask this of everybody, and I love to hear the different trio of of answers. Okay. What three characteristics do you think are needed to make it in the entertainment industry as a director? Hmm. Wow. Okay. Probably a lot more than three, but I'm going to try to narrow it down. I would say the first and foremost is persistence. Mm. So keep going. Keep creating. Keep learning. Don't let people tell you no. They will tell you no, and you say thank you, and you move on. And one time, you will get your yes. So I think persistence is so important. You know, not taking, there's so many things that go underneath that. Don't take things personally. There's right. so much other stuff going on. It's not all about you. They right. don't love your short film. I'm sorry they didn't resonate. What else are you going to do? Make something else. Right. You know, keep creating. So I would say, I guess, persistence. And then another, you know, I would normally say something like being a good leader. But when I think about that, I think more. Being a good leader, I think more about compassion. I think that mm-hmm. compassion is a really important quality because you need to have compassion for yourself, for the way that you are um, attempting to build a career as a director, and compassion when, when, once you're there for the people around you, mm-hmm. but mostly for yourself, to have compassion for yourself because I think we are overachievers probably at best and just very hard on ourselves at worst and to be able to have compassion for gosh I couldn't answer that 
right for this particular actor. You know, I didn't have the right words for he or she. And I, I really feel badly about that. But you know what? Tomorrow's a new day. I'm going to, you know, we're going to try something new. I, I, I open my heart to that person. I, I do right. think that's important. Right. And I guess, I guess just being open, hmm. just staying open and allowing for ideas like you and I have been talking about, you know, what if everybody on the set had, had an idea that we were open to and we didn't diminish anybody for having a bad idea. Right. And if somebody diminished us in a tone meeting for having a bad idea to be able to say, you know what? I'm so happy that I at least had the courage to put it out there. Right. So to stay open and not get jaded by, you know, mm -hmm. however many bad showrunners we run into or whatever, you know, whatever right. the, whoever the negative force is to stay as positive as possible and to know each day is really a new choice. Each day awesome. is a new choice. I love it. So persistence, compassion, and remaining open. The Allison Liddy Brown cocktail for success. That's it. <laughs> That's it, man. Um, 30 years. There it is. Well, I, I appreciate you taking the time to join us. And yeah, I look forward to, in the meantime, maybe while you're still doing episodic, maybe we'll pass the baton from one episode to the next to the other. We just might. We just might. I hope right. so. I hope I get to see you in the flesh. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Pete. It was great. It was great. What's up, people? This is Pete Chapman. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter via at Pete Chapman. Follow the pod on IG via at Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman and hit up our mailbag with questions, suggestions, or hey, donations if you're feeling like it via Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman at gmail.com. And just in case you need to know how to spell it, that's Pete with the last name C-H-A-T-M-O-N. Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman is produced and edited by the multi-talented cut creator Tristan Nash. Assistant produced by the young mogul Jada George and features the wonderfully gifted Kelly McCreary as our announcer. It's written by yours truly, but I mostly come up with these questions on the fly, which you've probably noticed. Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman is sponsored by Sweat Equity, so go ahead and get your podcast swag via PeteChapman.com and leave a review on iTunes if so inclined. That shit matters. All right. I hope you all enjoyed that conversation with Allison Liddy Brown. Join us next week as we welcome Bola Ogun for episode 59 of Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman. And in the meantime, and as always, stay safe, spread love, and keep creating.